When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil sends this podcast with wrath. Because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 1982. Welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro. Chris Sinzak's right there, and this is something we haven't done in a long time. Yeah, you got to take off that cloak you're wearing. You're starting to freak me out. Put the candles out, too. With wrath. I love it. 1982 is a good year. We got some great facts lined up for you. You know, all the good stuff we always do for our year in reviews, but it's all wrapped around rock and roll. Yes. And we love doing these, and we hate doing these at the same time because there's so much work. But but they're also really fun to listen to, and they, uh, if you're into nostalgia, these have it in spades. Sure, which we are, and we like it a lot. So we got a lot to get to today. I want to let you know we are ready to announce our VIP perks for the Rock and Pod Expo yes. right here on this episode today, but we're going to save it till the end. So yes. you guys stay tuned for that. We also go. Why don't you go ahead and give the big announcement? Oh, you want right. me to do that? Yeah, now? yeah. You tell us that now. Okay, so um, I just came from uh, what is going to be our new venue for yeah. the for the uh, expo, and you know the Millennium Hall was initially picked and initially paid for, but um, it's it's as this has kind of grown, it, it's it's kind of outgrown that that venue and yep. it's, it's basically i've gotten more yeses on things than i ever expected to so 
the scope of this is just getting bigger and uh, more shows we're sure are going to be coming in and more special guests are going to be coming in. And it's just like this hall is too small for it. We're moving on up. And I got a good guy that's rounding up the uh, dealers and the vendors, and uh, he turned me on to this place. It's over by the Opryland Hotel area, a very historical part of Nashville. It's called the Music Valley Event Center, and it's made for things like this. And it's got tons of parking. It's near hotels. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff around it. It's 10,000 square feet. It's got a full stage, full PA, full lighting, full Full sound, full bar. And in concessions, it's got everything we could possibly need, and it's going to be a blast. And there's a lot of people that are coming to this, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I wonder if that's going to be any good, and maybe I'll come to Nashville for it. Trust me, it's worth coming for. Right. Yeah, because like you said, you know, not only is this in a much upgraded area of town, yeah. not only is the venue itself a huge upgrade, but the owner of the venue, as you told me, is yes. really excited to have us he's there. A, yeah, he's a great guy I met today, and he's real excited about it, and he loves the idea behind it. And he's going to be the sound man for the day. He's a sound engineer by trade. And, uh, yeah, he's like, I'll be there all day, and uh, you can stay as late as you want. We might stay till 1 in the morning. And, it's going to uh, be it, awesome. It's going to be a huge party. And Yeah. Uh, I also just booked a pre-party for the night before. Oh, so right on. That's it's, cool. It's really rolling along, and... Uh, yeah, we'll announce perks later in the show, but if you're thinking about doing it, please uh, please contribute to the fund. Yeah, and stick around till the end, and we'll tell you how we can make it here at Decibel Geek worth your while to do it. So, before we get into this week's episode, we got to take care of a little business. And the perfect way to do that, I see them right there, they're winking at me. Look at them, they're beautiful, they're winking. Five stars. That means I got an iTunes review to read, and it comes to us from Sonny Poon. It's an awesome name. It is an awesome name. Do you want to go on a rocket ride? Let Chris and Aaron shock you with what's on their insane minds. These guys are calling to you to remember back when you were in school and spinning some hard rock metal acorns (laughs) that we haven't heard in a while. So break out of your normal routine. Forget about the hard times. Pour yourself a cold gin and give a listen to this awesome podcast. Keep up the great work. I just became a VIP and I'm super excited. Ace is king. Thanks from Sonny Poon. How badass is that? Super badass. You know, Ace Fraley fans are always welcome around here. We always enjoy getting more people to join our VIP yeah. party. We've got some cool stuff coming their way. we got some prize packs. Yes. i got the big old bin sitting right over there. I've got everybody's measurements and preferences. Yeah, and it's going to be cool. It's going to be really cool. A lot I'm of looking, cool uh, rock t-shirts. It's earlier than Christmas in July, but we got some gifts to give, and we love and appreciate every single person that's a VIP and everybody that leaves us iTunes reviews, you know? So if you haven't done it yet, Go ahead and give us that five-star review. We work hard for it, as you're going to find out today. Yes, and there's a lot of you new people that are listening, and uh, because a lot of people got turned on to Decibel Geek last week through Woo. the Look What the Cat Dragged In albums Unleashed. A lot of attention. That was something, that man. That spotlight was hot. It was, yeah, it was burning <laughs> hot, man. It was cool. We loved it. We loved so much being able to sit down with Ricky Rocket and delve into Look What the Cat Dragged In. And as you guys can tell you know, through our talk with him and the episode last week, we're huge Poison fans, unabashedly, not ashamed of it in the least. <laughs> yeah, there's no hiding it in the episode, is there? Absolutely not, you know, no. and that's okay because we all had a good time. Ricky was really forthcoming, told yep. us some really awesome stories. And not only that, but then Poison turned around oh, wow. and double turned everybody on yes. to what we were doing when they retweeted it on Twitter and, re- and put it on Facebook and put it out there more than once. And, man, you Poison fans, you crashed our website. Literally. 
literally yeah, our site was unaccessible for like two full hours you broke the decibelgeek.com i know we thought it was unbreakable wow. but, but poison fans they busted that shit thank you up. for uh, motivating us to upgrade the server because that's going to be <laughs> happening real soon it's like holy shit we didn't expect this something we should have done probably the week before the ricky rocket episode probably so that's but, awesome uh, so, yeah though. so uh the geeks of the week this week if you holy sh- moly look at this list if you shared it on facebook or retweeted it on twitter these are the ones that shared or retweeted our original link because it got shared everywhere so of course blabbermouth brave words a lot of people a lot of news sites picked it yeah. up uh, so here we go, Geeks of the Week. As we, the aforementioned Poison, they'll st- we'll start with them. They share. They rock. Chris Jones, Glenn Greiner, Paula Ho Pride, Dave Shirt, Neil Johnson, Ages of Rock Podcast, Tom Cullen, Brent Walter, Joe Royland, Sit and Spin with Joe, Jason Seth, Cobras and Fire, Joseph Capone, Brad Cannot, Matt Ashcraft, Nick DeVellis, Shay Hargett, Tommy Black, Ryan Sessions, Heavy Metal, Doug the Devil, Mike Stewart, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Justin Melrock, Paul Watson, Crash Crafton, The J Machine, Bring Poison to Oz, Rodolfo Carlos Ortiz Montoya, Brian Nappy, and Wadley from Rock and Metal Combat, Christian Hansen, Hairband Heaven, Kevin Williams, Trevor McDougal, Australia Wants Poison, Greg McGlone, Dan Chapu, Andrew Jacobs, Christina Green, Nate Atchison, Joel Hebensberger, Cal Hens, The Riff of the Day, Gino Ames, Rock and Ron Runyon. Rock and Ron Runyon on the ball got the YouTube version out like within two days. That's and it's amazing. doing well too. Very cool. Um Let's see. Wayne Cross, Cool World, James Brendan Dunn, Josh Toomey from Talk To Me, Tracy Lynn Schaefer, Brad Kalmanson, Derek Novak, Martin Wenham, David Glenn, Rob Webb, Hoops, Alex Michael from Shameless did it. Uh, Stevie Rochelle and Metal Sled shared it. Nice. Uh, Adam Cox, Mark Alden Taylor, Brant Cattell, Brent Tibbetts, Aaron Baker, Greg Johnson, Mikhail Burrell, Dave Koska, Don DeLamont, Warren Money, Kelly Shearer, Ringside Podcast, Playball 66, James McElhenney, Christopher Stokes, Stephen Atchison, USWA, White Polar Bear Mount, SNJM Session Podcast, MDG Rock Photography, Grant Spark, Derek Novak, Colin Francis, Jason Mayhar, Ernesto Aguiar, and of course, the Mooger Fooger. Breathe. Breathe, my friend. It's a damn good thing I quit smoking. That's an awesome list of people out there putting the word on the street about Decibel Geek, passing it on, letting all the rock and rollers around the world know that they have a home and a place to be entertained right here every single week. We thank you guys for it. Keep it up. You're doing awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a year so far, guys. Yeah, it has. Very, it's just very getting thankful. started. Speaking, I, I heard you mention uh, Cobras and Fire, man. Their latest episode, they do... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. They got Paul Stanley and, and Doc McGee on there doing the uh, the Rockin' Podcast roast. It's hilarious. Fucking asshole. Freaking hilarious. <laughs> you guys got to check it out. It was funny. And it's worth... If, yeah, if, if there's any podcast you want to ha- hear being made fun of, uh, present company included, uh, <laughs> listen to that. Cause it's pretty entertaining. Super entertaining. All right, man. You ready to fire up the DeLorean? and head on back to 1982 let's do it well there's only one way to start these year in review episodes and i gotta turn the microphone over to chris sinzak for this one so we got to start off with the facts from 1982 give me the facts jack average cost of a new house eighty two thousand two hundred dollars nice i'll take three of them and this sounds like a lot but when you compare to today it's not much cost of a super bowl ad 1982 was three hundred and twenty four thousand dollars yeah well, it was even expensive back then. Cost of a gallon of gas was 91 cents. Oh, I miss that. And the cost of the ever-important one pound of bacon, $1.99. How could we carry on without knowing the price of bacon in 1982? It just kind of puts things in perspective, you know what I mean? That's why I love the internet. You can find that out any for no matter what year. I don't know about, I haven't gone into the 1800s. I don't know what bacon ran back then. <laughs> the cost of catching a pig. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 
So what uh what a year we're into now. This yeah. is uh there's a lot of interesting it's just the first half of the year is filled with stuff. Right, yeah, because we're just covering the first half. Next week we'll be back with nineteen eighty two part two. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh right off the bat in January and this is the time when these things are starting to become accessible to normal people. The Commodore 64-8-bit home computer is launched by Commodore International in Las Vegas. It's later released in August, and it becomes the best-selling single personal computer model. I had one. Yeah? Yeah. Is that the ones like with the green screen and they yeah. were in all the schools? Oh, yeah. That's got to be what it was. All the yeah, schools it was bought mo- them It looked like it was just a keyboard, and then you would connect it to your monitor. But yeah, it was. I think I played Oregon Trail. On I was gonna it. say yeah, Oregon Trail, yeah. Odell Lake. Uh, I had, I had where the, in the world is Carmen San Diego? I had that, and I had an Atari 400. Yeah. And then my friend down the street had ColecoVision. So like we kind of nice. had all bases covered. That's cool. But yeah, I remember the Commodore. High Entertainment in 1982. Eight, all eight bits. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the uh, animal lovers in, on January 20th weren't real happy. No, no. 1982 was a crazy year for Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, it was kind of his defining year for his uh, controversialness. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, there's we're going to go through this, and then, like I said, this is just the first half of the year, but we're we're going to talk about Ozzy <laughs> a few times as we go through this episode. But right off the bat, in uh, in January, he bites the head off the bat in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, that's mm-hmm. legendary now. But, you know, the old story, somebody throws a bat up on stage, he doesn't think it's real, take, picks it up, chomps its head off. Yeah, and... Gets rushed to the emergency room for rabies shots, I believe. Oh, can you imagine realizing oh. that it was real? And <laughs> How awful that must have tasted. <laughs> Poor Ozzy. Of course, for publicity-wise, it was the greatest thing. Oh, could of have course, done. man. And this is the time in in history too, where a lot of the church groups are rallying up and needing, you know, to get out there and protest the evils of rock and roll. Yeah, that was that time. Ozzy Osbourne, he's the poster child for all that. Yeah, there's a band we'll talk about in part two that went through a lot of that too. Yeah, um, a lot of these bands did. Yeah, too. it was a lot of Christian fundamentalists at that point. It was like it was hitting mainstream media because I know people protested Kiss and a lot of those bands yeah. in the '70s, but. For some reason, it was very newsworthy in the early 80s. Yeah, it really ramped up. Well, we just talked about the first big computer sales going on in America. Of course, not even that much, not even a month later, the very first computer virus Mm -hmm. is created by a 15-year-old kid named uh, Rich Skrenta, and it infects Apple II computers via a floppy disk. So you make make computers accessible, and less than 30 days later, boom, there's the first virus. Some naughty little kid creates it. A 15-year-old. That's for like the first hacker. Why, Rich? Why? <laughs> I wonder what are what he's doing today. Oh, man. Who knows? He's probably the head of an antivirus company or something. Something. Wow, oh, that's pretty crazy. Uh-huh. All right, so when picking songs for this year in review, you know, there's, there's a lot of well-known stuff you're going to hear, or at least well-known artists you're going to hear, um, but there's also some really cool kind of hidden gems that, that I found doing research for this. Right on. Magnum was popular in 1982. I don't know nothing about Magnum. Yeah, he was the guy the with guy the mustache than, yeah. and the Detroit Tigers. No, he had a band too. Awesome. No, no not the same Magnum. But it was, 82 he, was awesome. But some low hanging fruit <laughs> for a joke. Um, Magnum was a uh, an English rock band formed in Birmingham by Tony Clark and Bob Catley in order to appear as the resident band at the Rum Runner nightclub. They've undergone several changes in personnel over the years. However, the core of Catley and Clark and remain. They released their third studio album in 1982 called Chase the Dragon. It was produced by Jeff Glixman, who worked with Kansas most famously. He also worked with Paul Stanley on his solo album for a little bit. Mm. 
Uh, it was recorded over 13 days at Townhouse Studios in London. And uh, this is a track called On the Edge of the World. That was pretty interesting. It's uh, it's a little bit a little bit proggy sounding, but uh, yeah. but yeah, pretty interesting stuff from from the early '80s. Right on. Well, that pushes us into February of '82, which is the uh, the debut of Late Night with David Letterman. It debuts on NBC, and Bill Murray is the very first guest. Letterman was really good in the early years. Yeah, and I, it was it was 1982 when the whole thing with Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman oh, happened right. too. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean I, that had to have helped his ratings. Oh, a lot. I'm sure because so many people were talking about it after yeah. it happened. Well, look, Andy Kaufman was a a really big star at that time, which I think everyone was kind of like, "What the hell are you doing?" Where he jumped into the wrestling world because he was already famous <laughs> from Taxi, right? And yeah, it was insane for sure. Yeah, and all of a sudden he's mixing it up with Jerry Lawler on a set. But, and then I guess there's always been controversy over whether that was real or not. I think they admitted that it was all staged, didn't they? Uh, it's kind of hard to fake hot coffee getting thrown on you. Well, was it really hot coffee? Well, of course it was hot coffee. Yeah. This is professional wrestling we're talking about. Okay, enough said. <laughs> <laughs> all right, check this one out. I want to talk a little bit about Nazareth. In 1982, they come out with their 13th studio album. And, you know, they hit their peak back in 1975 with Hair of the Dog. And it's been seven years and seven albums since then. And this is pretty much a different kind of band since those, you know, heights in 75. The most notable change to the band is the addition of keyboardist John Locke. But, you know, it's 1982, and any band that survived as long as Nazareth has to adjust and kind of change to, to match the changing musical climates, and there's a lot of that going on in 82. Don't believe me? Check out the video for Love Leads to Madness, which fe- features Locke dancing around with a keyboard smaller than the one Sears used to sell to normal people. <laughs> kind of strange looking. Of course, you still have the classic lineup of Daryl Sweet on drums, Pete Agnew on bass, Billy Rankin, and Manny Charlton on guitars, and the unmistakable voice of Dan McCafferty.
You know, there's some heavier songs on this album, like Take the Rap, but, uh, you know, and the album is 2XS. I, is it two times, I'm guessing? Or I think that's what it means. Two extra small? I don't know. <laughs> two extra smalls, please. Not, not very uh, manly. No, but uh, by 1982, this band is a kind of a shell of what it used to be, and it's chasing trends. But like I say, you know, what band that hasn't survived that long, hasn't had that kind of period in their career? This would be their last album to chart in the U.S., and... Uh, it just barely got in. It reached number 122, which I guess ain't bad. It wouldn't be certified gold in Canada, which every album since 1973's Razamanaz had done. And, uh, you know, what's great about Nazareth is that even though they weren't necessarily commercially viable in 82, they still had enough in them to survive to this very day and never stopped creating new music. So, you know, if Nazareth yeah. is all playing towards you, show them the love and respect and go check them out. Well, I kind of wonder how well they were drawing in 1982. Hmm, not so, so good. Probably pretty lean years for them. Yeah. Any, I know, well, I know they were still like super popular in Germany. Right. But as far as here in the States, like I said, it was their final album to even chart. Hair, Hair of the Dog, it's not. I'll be honest. Until we started researching for this, I didn't know they put an album out in 1982. I don't I've think I've never there, heard anything from There's not today. very many years that this band has not put out albums. That's pretty amazing. I mean, still to this day, I mean, they just came out with an album a year or two back. I need to go through and listen to some of the, I, For some reason, I always get into artists during their lean years. I yeah. think sometimes it yields really cool stuff. True. Like Alice Cooper during right. Da Da and all that. The but pressure's off, you know? Maybe. It makes They get to be more creative that way. Uh, so the you know we talk about two XS maybe being too extra small, but the uh, next story has nothing to do with it being extra small. <laughs> On February third, porn star John Holmes is ordered to stand trial for murder, and uh, he'd wind up being acquitted on June twenty fifth. I know, didn't mean to kill her, Your Honor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you know the story behind this? No. Oh, you haven't seen the movie Wonderland? Uh, I've seen the with movie Val Boogie Kim Nights. Well, mm, similar. Yeah. Um, the Wonderland murders. Uh, Pretty much, yeah, Boogie Nights is based on kind of the right. same thing. You know, the character in Boogie Nights that Marky Mark plays is based on John Holmes. A lot of sex, a lot of cocaine. Yeah, and essentially John Holmes was in the middle of a robbery of this big guy that was a drug kingpin. He also, but anyway, he owned the club, the Starwood, where Van Halen was discovered. Yeah. and uh, But he was big into the drug trade and everything, and everyone knew he had money, but he was also reckless with drugs and stuff. So John Holmes basically helped these guys with information on how to go rob the guy and the guy ends up getting killed and wow and he gets charged as basically i think accessory to murder sure, or something yeah. there, there's a really great movie called wonderland where val kilmer plays john holmes and and hmm. it, it goes through the whole timeline i'll check that out yeah i mean other than ron jeremy he's got to be the most well-known oh, yeah. male porn star of yeah. all time yeah he was died a really horrible way but yeah but yeah he uh he was a big deal in the early 80s, and I don't, yeah, and I mean sure. that in more ways than one. <laughs> Speaking of long, man, on February 4th, <laughs> the indoor distance record for paper airplanes is set in Tacoma, Washington. I thought that was a great stat. It's a long distance throw right there, 40, all the way across the room. 47 meters. That's a ways, man, for a paper airplane. Important stuff going on in 82. Right. Uh, also in 1982, UFO released their 10th studio album called Mechanics on Chrysalis Records. Uh, the al ads for the album's release carried the tagline, Mechanics, it will tighten your nuts. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Crazy how all this is just working together. Now, uh-huh. um, immediately after the completion of the tour in support of the album, founding member and bassist Pete Way leaves the band to join Motorhead guitarist Fast Eddie Clark and Fast Way. Yeah. This album is, in my opinion, not as great as The Wild Will, The Willing, and The Innocent, but has some great moments like this one. This is UFO with You'll Get Love. Michael Schenker, I think he was a really good fit for this band, and he helped them put out a lot of good material throughout the 80s. I, yeah. you know, Schenker is kind of, he's a legend unto himself, but some of that Chapman stuff was really great. Right on. Very cool. Yep. All right, let's see. February 13th. Oh, man, this is pretty wild. Far out. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. You know, and you got to think this thing's been released years ago now at this point. It is in the charts for its 402nd week. That's just crazy. I mean, it went in and it stayed in. I mean, I think Pink like Floyd Holmes, came out with... <laughs> That's crazy, though, you know, to, yeah. to have an album stay in the charts that long. I mean, I think Pink Floyd released other albums while they, they this, that one was still on the oh, charts. yeah, The Wall know? was even successful, but right. it stayed on the charts. That's crazy, well, you know. And people 80, like to get high. 82, you know, <laughs> is a big year for Pink Floyd because The Wall, the movie, comes out. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about That's movies true. later on. But, yep. yeah, Pink Floyd, they're... Just as big as they ever were in 1982. That's true. 402 weeks in a row. That's um, amazing. Uh, also on February 13th, this is a bizarre story. A 300-pound gravestone from the grave of Ronnie Van Zant from Leonard Skinner is stolen from an Orange Park, Florida cemetery. Wow. And they found the gravestone two weeks later in a dry riverbed. What the hell kind of prank is that? Just couldn't drag it any further, I'm guessing. Like, what's the plan? You're going to steal it and do what with it? I guess the plan is, man, how cool would it be to have that? Okay, now we have it. What the hell are we going to do with it? Well, just throw it in that riverbed. we got to get rid of it. We can't, you know, I was, thought I was going to put it in my backyard, but now anytime somebody comes over yeah. here, they're going to know it was me that stole it. These rednecks are probably sitting around all paranoid. Yeah. And then finally, got, like, we have to get rid of this thing. You put it in the back of the pickup truck, haul it down to the driver riverbed, and just get throw rid it of it. You know, get it out of here. What a weird story. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, kind of oh, sucks. Kind of sucks. Well, like, you time to harken back to your intro today yeah and it's time to make some heavy metal hard rock history when iron maiden returns in 1982 with number of the beast now although this is maiden's third album it's really more like a re-debut album it's the first one with former samson lead vocalist bruce dickinson who has replaced paul diano who had been fired from the band in late 81 while the first two albums were comprised mostly of songs that Steve Harris had been kicking around for years, this album had to be written pretty much from scratch. They entered the studio with producer Martin Birch, who had previously worked with them on Killers, as well as done albums by B.O.C., White Snake, Rainbow, Deep Purple, Sabbath. I mean, the list goes on and on with this guy. 
they basically more or less punished themselves to create this record and you know it comes through in the music when you listen to it it is without a doubt not only one of maiden's very finest but it is one of the greatest albums of all time track run to the hills children of the damned hallowed be thy name and everything else on this album is top-notch music that raised the bar and set a new standard for metal in 1982 the album went to number one in the uk and reached number 33 in the u.s many americans were downright terrified of this band it was a time in like i said in america where it was hip for a lot of church groups to rally up and protest bands that scared them Iron Maiden was a pretty easy target, you know, the the title of the you album. You mean doing an album called Number of the Beast? Yeah, I mean, it all starts right why there. Would that be, why would that alarm anyone? I don't think you get past the <laughs> intro before you're terrified enough to go, yep, Satan's behind this. Yeah, no kidding. You know, and then, of course, you got the album cover. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the other songs on there, I mean, people were terrified of Iron Maiden. They really got labeled as being Satanists. I remember when the the title track video came out on MTV. Yeah. And it scared the shit out yeah, of me. That was when some I was scary stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just hearing the intro to the song. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll never, I was terrified of that band for a long time. One thing I learned by doing the research on this that I never knew, I always assumed that that was Vincent Price that read that, but it turns out it was somebody else. I thought it was Vincent Price. They wanted to get Vincent Price to do it, but he, his asking fee was too much. Huh. So they ended up getting another old-time British oh, actor, and he sounds just like Vincent Price. I thought Price, it was Vincent Price. But it's not him. Huh. Yeah, pretty wild, huh? Like maybe after uh, after he saw how well Alice Cooper did with Black Widow from Goes to Hell, he was like, right. I need to up my price. Yeah, probably. That was awesome, too. Vincent Price rules. Yeah, he does. So let's talk a little bit about the sports highlights from 1982. All right. Yeah, there's some good ones. 82 was a good year for sports. January 10th was the Freezer Bowl in the NFL. The Bengals beat the Chargers in negative 59 degrees Fahrenheit. That's negative 51 Celsius to win the AFC title game. That's cold. Cold, cold. What would it have been like? To, like the players at least were running around could stay warm. What would it be like to be in the stands for that fucking game? <sighs> Brutal. Hurt nipples. Yeah, and it was uh, AstroTurf. So imagine landing on a frozen uh, parking lot. Concrete basically. pad, yeah. Yeah. And then January 10th, huge moment in the NFL, the catch. Uh, Dwight oh, yeah. Clark making a fingertip grab from Joe Montana to win the uh, 
sort well the 49ers won a playoff game and they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, 49ers were pretty much unbeatable back then, you know, they were Joe Montana, Roger Craig, Jerry Rice. Yeah, they, it was, they were the dynasty of the 80s. They really. were stacked back then. Yeah. And that would wrap up the uh the season from the year before, so then you go into notable draft names from 82, Jim McMahon comes into the NFL that year, Marcus Allen, Gary and Morton Anderson, the mm-hmm. Super Kickers, and speaking of Super, Mark Super Duper. Yep. Is drafted in the NFL. This is also the season that the Oakland Raiders moved to Los Angeles. What an ironic day to talk about this. Are they back? They or? just they just got approved today to move to Las Vegas. Oh wow! So they're going to Vegas they for are, sure now. Yes, huh? they are the Las Vegas Raiders as of today. It's official. Yep. Wow! What a cool coincidence. Wow. Uh, I'll see. The also the NFL season was shortened to nine games because of a fifty-seven day player strike. Yep. And it was such a screwed up year that Cleveland and Detroit made the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only and, way they could do it. You got to add extra uh, spots just to get Cleveland and Detroit in. And the kicker for the Redskins was named the NFL MVP. That How should tell you. That, that should tell you right there what a screwed up season the 1982 NFL season was. That's pretty crazy. Uh, the Islanders swept the Van- Vancouver Canucks to win the Stanley Cup in hockey. Yeah. Italy defeats West Germany in the World Cup. Daryl Waltrip's the NASCAR Winston Cup champion. Winston Cup. Then. Cigarette company. Right. The L.A. Lakers over the six, 76ers with Dr. J to win the NBA championship. That's some classic basketball right there. That's Afro-era basketball. Yeah. Uh, Scott Hamilton is the big figure skater of the time. Right. Yeah, he was everywhere. He lives here in Nashville. Does he really? Yeah. And the biggest fight of the year with a lot of racial overtones. Do you remember this? Heavyweight champion Larry Holmes defeated Jerry Cooney. Had Cooney won, he would have been the first white world boxing champion in 23 years. That's why Don King gave him the nickname The Great White Hope. I remember it barely. I remember why. I actually watched watched this on HBO when I was like seven years old with my dad and my Uncle Bruce. And there really was some racial overtones in that fight. You know, looking back on on those guys watching it, because Don King had called this guy The Great White Hope and hyped it up like, oh, if this guy beats Holmes, you know, he'll be the first white champion in forever, you know, and it was, it became a big deal. And and then Larry Holmes just mopped the floor with the guy. Yeah. Then they called him The Great White Dope, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Poor dude. I'm I'm an Atlanta Braves fan by heart, and it was a good year to be a Braves fan because, well, Frank Robinson from the Reds and Hank Aaron were elected to the MLB Hall of Fame. And I, I remember telling Aaron when we were doing notes for this, we have to mention this. Uh-huh. Uh, the Atlanta Braves on April 21st won their 13th straight game. It was the it was the longest winning streak to open a season, I, I think, ever. And uh, it was huge news. Everyone was like, the Braves are definitely going to go to the World Series. They didn't go. But, no. but they were great that year. And I remember being a little kid and my dad being just over the moon excited for it. I suppose 13 games to start off the yeah. season in a row. That is pretty amazing. Because And they were doormats in the years leading up to that yeah. it, was, it was like out of nowhere they so just nobody beat could believe it yeah it was crazy that's awesome yeah it was all and that made national news it was a big deal so yeah and yeah. oh yeah also this was a great brave story atlanta Braves pitcher pasquale perez just it just got his license driver's license he got lost on interstate 285 which is a loop that goes around atlanta yeah while driving to the game he was scheduled to start he could not find his exit and he circled the city several times before eventually running out of <laughs> gas and missing the game <laughs> That was the 14th game of the season. Oh, God. He was a great pitcher with a lot of promise, and then cocaine took all that away. But he had a lot of drug problems. But I didn't, until I did the research. And no GPS back then. Yeah, no kidding. When I did the research for this, I didn't know this story. And then I saw, I read that. I just, I died laughing. 
Uh, Cal Ripken Jr. plays the first of what eventually becomes his record-breaking streak of 2,632 games. That's awesome. I always like Cal Ripken Jr. Well, yeah, he was called the... Uh, was it called the Iron Horse or something? Or, something like yeah. that, because it was right there. You know, Iron he Man. had that record. He never missed any games. Yeah. I guess since you got to talk about Atlanta, we shouldn't have to talk about the Brewers. Why not? Well, because uh, they lost to St. Louis in the World Series. But, hey, they went to the World Series. They went to the World, World Series. That was the last time they went. They were, they were awesome back then. They had Raleigh Fingers, the guy with the crazy mustache, and all kinds of cool What's players, guy, uh, characters. Robin Yount. Ben Ogilvy. Yeah, yeah, Ben Ogilvy. Yeah. Paul Molitor. Paul Molitor, yeah. Yeah. They had it together back then. That was like the quintessential Brewers that year, I think. Uh see. So then that brings us up to the biggest news story of the year. Oh, God. On April 18th <laughs> in St. Paul, Minneapolis. It's brother's birthday. AWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Bockwinkle defends his title against number one contender and star of Rocky Three, Hulk Hogan. After a long-fought battle back and forth by both competitors Hogan hits what will become his signature big boot and leg drop combination as he goes for the cover Bockwinkle's manager Bobby the Brain Heenan punches Hogan in the face with a foreign object and attempts to pass off the weapon of Bockwinkle but a bloodied Hogan intercepts it clobbers Bockwinkle and covers him for the one two three becoming the new champion yes Six days later, the AWA strips Hogan of the title and returns it to Nick Bockwinkle because Hogan used the weapon. The entire world is outraged. Chaos in the streets. Really? Hey, oh, the world rioted. You don't remember? You don't remember the the Hulk Hogan riots of '82? I don't think so. Uh, Vince McMahon remembers it. He was uh, just sitting back thinking, you know, I just recently purchased the World Wrestling Federation from my dad, and I need the right guy to build this empire on. Who could it be? Who could it be? 1982 in sports. Entertainment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to hear hear us talk about music and stuff again? Yeah, let's do that. Well, let's talk about one more entertainer person. March 5th, comedian and blues brother John Belushi found dead of an apparent drug overdose at the Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles. Way too young. Yeah, uh, heroin is a messed up drug. and uh, That's a, such a sad story because the guy was really peaking in his career. He was super talented and super funny, and Very. the movies he was in were great, and the Saturday Night Live skits he was in were hilarious, and just a awesome dude, you know, friends with Ace Fraley, as I, we've been told, I believe, right? Oh, yeah. Part, yeah. Like, him and Ace Fraley were, like, really close friends. Also friends with Peter Chris. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really, if you have Lydia Chris's book, Seal with a Kiss, there's a really great story about them all hanging out with John Belushi at their house. Right on. Yeah. Lydia Chris's book is always available. Check it out. Yes. Goes to show in 1982, if you're hanging out with guys like Ace Frehley and Peter Chris, your life is in danger. It definitely is, especially in that era. Okay, so uh, 1982 and a tank kind of go hand in hand, right? 82 and a tank? Yeah. Oh, kiss but, references. But not that tank. We'll talk about that one next week. Okay. I'm talking about the band tank. All right. Tank was a member of the new wave of British heavy metal, and they released the album Fifth Hounds of Hades on Camouflage Records. K-A-M-A, Flage Records. Produced by Fast Eddie Clark, the band is still going in two forms with singer Algie Ward having a version and guitarist Mick Tucker and Cliff Evans having the other. Hmm. There are two tanks out there. Current Skid Row vocalist Z.P. Thart has fronted the Tucker Evans version recently, but let's go back to 1982 to hear a wonderfully titled song called Blood, Guts, and Beef.
all the bases covered guts and beer (laughs) the true question then remains is now we're here we are in 2017 when do the two tanks collide i don't know there there has to be a tank battle right there should be a a double bill tour with both tanks tank battle i love it tanks a great band they're really yeah they are i think so too all right we're still in march we're about halfway through this episode and guess what ozzy osbourne is back in the news and this time it's about one of the saddest things that has probably ever happened in hard rock and heavy metal history. And March 19th is the day that Randy Rhodes is killed in a freak accident in Leesburg, Florida. When the plane he's in, he what's the story? He buzzes Ozzy's tour bus and crashes into the house? From what I remember, the band, some of the band was sleeping on the bus. I think Ozzy Sharon and, and uh, Rudy Sarzo were sleeping on the bus. But it was parked at this the home of this guy that owns like the RV and bus company. Yeah. And Randy and a girl that was like a production assistant for the band and the bus driver and the, I think the bus driver's wife all got on the plane because the bus driver had a pilot's license. Okay. And wanted to fly a Cessna that was there on site. So they went up site and they kept buzzing the bus. And the, it's up for debate over what happened and why. It, the, and so the plane ended up buzzing and hitting the front end of the bus and then crashing. Dang. But it's up for debate over the intentions and if it was really an accident or not. Because like I think Rudy Sarzo in an interview said that he heard that the bus driver and his wife were going through like a lot of marital problems at the time. And yeah. like that she may have admitted to wanting an affair or wanting to leave him and he possibly so he was, might have been suicidal to, yeah that he might have been taking the plane down intentionally but then why take others with you i don't know so, but it may not be the it may not be the truth i don't know it sounds more to me like they were just goofing it, off probably trying just to, an know, awful accident just to you know get ozzy to laugh or whatever yeah. you know just to be cool and funny and you know you just I don't, you don't fuck around when you're in a, flying an airplane. You know it, that's not the time to be playing. I think it might have been Jim Florentine's podcast. Some one podcast interviewed Rudy about it, and he went very in depth about yeah. what happened. And it's pretty crazy to listen to him re- recall it because he remembers. That's got to suck too, it. because then you get out of the bus and you go look, and there's that little plane, yeah. you know, and there's, there's your friends laying everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's awful. awful day in music. Yeah, totally one of the worst days in hard rock and metal history, no doubt about it. Definitely. All right. Sorry there's a lot of death yeah, in this episode, but, you know, yeah, we're trying to be happy. Randy <laughs> Rhodes dies. Hulk Hogan gets stripped of the title. We're not, we're not off to a good start. John Belushi. Yeah. Well, here's something that's going to make you feel good again. Now, the Scorpions had pretty much struggled throughout the 70s as a hard-traveling band trying to find their way and their sound, which, you know, it's not easy to do after losing both Uli John Roth and Michael Schenker. But by the dawn of the 80s, those struggles are coming to an end, and in 1982 they established themselves as one of the world's top rock acts with the release of Blackout. While they had charted previously in the States with Love Drive and Animal Magnetism, Blackout cracks the top ten, powered by the hit single No One Like You. 
which is a great song. That one reaches number 65 on the U.S. Billboard Singles Charts, and it would also be ranked as the number one rock track in America. This is their biggest hit single up to this date, but it's just one song on an album jam-packed with awesome tunes. As awesome as this album is, it almost didn't even happen. During the writing process, Klaus blows out his voice and shreds his vocal cords to the point that he needs surgery. A young American singer is making a name for himself in Germany by the name of Don Dokken, and he's brought in to record the vocals for the demos while Klaus recovers. You know that? I had no idea. Yeah, which, of course, he eventually does. Uh, rumor has it that Dokken's background vocals are still left in on this project, so what you're hearing on this album actually has some Don Dokken on it. The album title was decided upon after Rudy had a night of hard partying with Judas Priest and Def Leppard in Cleveland, where he pounds copious amounts of whiskey, beer, and wine. That's always a great combination, right? Work. <laughs> he ends up pouring his drink into Def Leppard's hotel TV, blowing it up, and then the next day, when everyone's asking him what the hell went on, he don't remember any of it. He had his very first blackout. the player and the arcade is the arena you focus your mind and propel yourself into a universe where you're the master of your destiny for as long as you can keep the trip going this is the arcade experience we're ColecoVision. we bring the arcade experience home with games like donkey kong with multiple screens arcade controls and arcade graphics that let you have the arcade experience at home because your vision is our vision ColecoVision. The DeLorean. Gullwing doors rise effortlessly, beckoning you inside. The sleep. 
sleek stainless steel DeLorean. Beautifully crafted for long life, the DeLorean is one of the most awaited automobiles in automotive history. Drive the DeLorean. Live the dream today. All right, before we get back into our exploration of rock and roll in the year 1982, I want to let you know, as always, there's awesome stuff for you over at HK Collectibles, Inc. As a matter of fact, right now, there's some really cool print advertisements from 1982. He's got one that's for a 1982 Datsun 200SX. You know somebody that's a fan of cars? Something old like that you can get and put in and have it put in a frame and hang up on the wall. Yep. It's very cool. Can't even get a Datsun anymore. No, yeah, they don't even exist. He's also got a sign that you can hang up for a 1982 Pioneer LaserDisc player. <laughs> what a trip. And he's also got a ticket to ACDC's appearance in Denver on the Back in Black Tour. All that and a whole lot more. You want to check out HK Collectibles, Inc. You can get lost in this Amazon store with all the cool stuff, the amazing collectibles, and just kick-ass rock and roll stuff that he's got. Head on over to DecibelGeek.com. Look right there at the top of our page. You're going to see two banners up there. One is for HK Collectibles, Inc. You click on that, it's going to take you there. The other one is our personal Amazon link, our Decibel Geek link to Amazon. You click on that, it'll take you right to Amazon where you can do all kinds of shopping, buy whatever you want. Every band we talk about here today and next week and Poison from last week, all these bands that we talk about, we expect and are hoping that you're inspired to go purchase these albums by these bands, you know, and to do that and to help us out, you know, say, hey, you guys turned us on to Magnum. We're going to go buy the album. <laughs> We're going to do it through Amazon. We're going to do it through your link. Because when you do, you buy that album. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but Amazon takes a piece of their action and shares it with us. It's a little bit at a time, but it all adds up. And, man, we've been getting a lot of people using our Amazon link here lately. We appreciate mm -hmm. everyone that does it. And the cool, fun part is the list. Yeah, we get a list of whatever you buy, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a great uh, last couple of weeks in particular. And I posted on Facebook about it that... Uh, just in the last week alone, over $300 worth of music was bought through our life. That's awesome. That shows what we're doing here is valid and it's right, and we are helping rock Absolutely. and roll stay alive. That's what it's about. So are you. you got to support the artist. All right, so some of the interesting Amazon purchases from the last week include an Acer widescreen LCD monitor. Is that Acer Fury? No, but that's a great band. Yeah. Uh, HP Revolve Elite laptop case. An ID Tech Mini Mag Mag Stripe Reader. I don't know what it is. I have no is. idea what it is. Sounds expensive. It was expensive, so yeah, thank you. Very cool. Um, also, a Rush Album by Album book by Martin Popoff that just came out. And right actually, on. our friend Steve Roth is going to be sending us that book. And cool. I think we... I think we're due for a heavier side of Rush episode. Oh, yeah. I would like that. I think that could be a lot of fun. Uh, also, King Kong on DVD Ultimate Edition was bought. Very cool. You know, King Kong's back in the news. With I just the, went the and seen movie. the new one was last week. Yeah, it was fun. It was cool, man. Cool. King Kong kicking a lot of ass in that movie. So for music bought, Digital Music and Glorious' self-titled album was bought. Another one. Yes. Nice. Uh, Ted Nugent Free For All, you got to have that. Yeah. Cheap Trick self-titled, that's a good one. Is that the self-titled yep. or the self-titled from 97? Mm, the old one. Okay, cool. Uh, cool either way. Don Dockin' Up From The Ashes, we just talked about Right Don. on. Dan Baird, Showtime and Get Watch a Get from the new solo album, So Low. Hmm, Cool. Dan Baird may be coming to the Rock and Pot Expo. Really? Looking into it. Wow. Uh, Van Halen, A Different Kind of Truth was bought. Good for you. Yes. Whoever bought that. That's worth having. 
Physical music. Here's where some things get expensive. Somebody really went crazy on Pink Floyd box sets. They bought the 1970 Deviation, 1969 Dramatization, and 1968 Germination box. That's three box sets. Oh, wow. That's cool, man. I'd like to check those out. Yeah. Somebody bought the Iron Maiden Final Frontier 2 LP set on 180-gram vinyl. Nice. Uh, madness, total madness. So some, somebody bought some ska through our link. Okay. Uh, Night Ranger Don't Let Up Deluxe Edition. Right on. Prince Hit and Run Phase 2 was bought. Okay, nice. S- Steel Panther's new one, Lower the Bar, was purchased. Good, good. Uh, Bonham, the Dis- Disregard of Timekeeping and Mad Hatter albums were purchased. Those are pretty underrated albums. I was listening to uh, Disregard of Timekeeping a few days ago. That's, That's good. Firewind, Days of Defiance was purchased, some Gus G. Right on. 6 a.m. For Prayers for the Damned. Nikki um, Six. Paolo Mendonca, Respect My Aim. That's a new one on me. Yeah, that's might have to look into that. Somebody loves Lordy because they bought Two Beast or Not Two Beast, Dead Ache, and Babes for Breakfast. Nice. Great, I like that band. They're cool. Titles. And Fun. then uh, closing out this week, and Live from the Sun, Best from the West was bought. Heck yeah, man. We got the and covered. Now, you, now you know to go get Scorpion's Blackout to complete your docking collection. Exactly. There that you way go. you have all of it. Learning all kinds of stuff all the time here on Decibel Geek. So that covers that up. We thank everybody that does their shopping through our link. Of course, like you said, decibelgeek.com. Click on our banner. Takes you to Amazon. Do all your shopping. Help us out. It doesn't cost you a penny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You ready to get back into it? Yeah, we're getting into the end of March now. All right, what do we got now? March 28th in L.A., David Crosby is arrested for driving under the influence of cocaine and carrying a concealed weapon. Wow. David Crosby. It's very rock and roll. It's too bad his music isn't. <laughs> Sorry. Not a fan. He's just a peace-loving hippie. Oh, he's an asshole. That's, yeah. what, that's what I've heard from so many people. Right on. Uh, well, you want to talk about something completely different than that then? Sure. All right. Well, the Misfits have been creating their unique brand of punk horror rock in New Jersey obscurity for six years by the time they released their first full-length studio album, Walk Among Us, in 1982. Living Fast and Dying Young, this would be the only full-length album released while the classic version of the band is actually together as a band as they would break up in 1983 before the release of their next and final classic era album. All songs were written by Glenn Danzig with himself on vocals and guitar, Arthur Googie on drums, Doyle on guitar, and Jerry Only on bass. Gotta love it. Standout tracks include Skulls, 20 Eyes, Night of the Living Dead, and hate breeders. No, they weren't here for a good time or a long time, but they definitely left a scar. Way more revered now than they were back in 1982 for sure. A lot of that, like Ramones, Misfits, a lot of that, you know, they're a lot more respected nowadays than they were at the actual time. Although, 
They would influence a slew of horror-inspired rockers in their wake, everyone from Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson to Wednesday 13 and countless other rock bands that, that follow that kind of... It's actually a genre now. Oh, yeah. You know, either... You know, it's the Misfits, so you either love them or you hate them, or you've never heard of them, but thought the Fiend Club t-shirt at the Hot Topic looked cool. Oh, everyone loves that t-shirt. Yeah, I consider Walk Among Us a must-own album. So when I think of the Misfits, that automatically makes me think of Van Halen. Okay. Not really, it's just, what, it's just the way the notes go <laughs> I was waiting to see the connection there here. There is but... a one, but uh, it's the next song on the list. So, okay. um, so they both came out with albums in 82. They did. Oh, there you go. And uh, Diver Down for Van Halen came out on April 14th on Warner Brothers Records. Love it. Of course, produced by Ted Templeman. It was their fifth studio album. Spent 65 weeks on the album chart in the U.S. and had by 1998 sold 4 million copies in the U.S. This album gets slagged a little bit for all the covers on it, but it's got a lot of awesome uh original material including little guitars quote from david lee roth edward was saying he'd just seen this tv show with a flamenco guy doing all these wonderful things with his fingers and he says i figured out how to do how to do it with one pick watch this and he did it and it sounded better than the original it sounded mexican to me so i wrote a song for senioritas wow (laughs) and the guitar uh used on the recording and subsequent tour was a mini les paul built by nashville luthier david petulat and sold to eddie on the earlier fair warning tour that's wild I really love that album, though. I love that song in particular. I think yeah. that's one of Van Halen's best songs. All right, so we're into April, and uh, you've got the next pick. Okay, good. Well, in 1982, the mighty Motorhead returns with their fifth studio album, Iron Fist. This album, well, it's the perfect example of how difficult it is to enjoy continued success in the wake of an extremely successful release. Yes, This is the follow-up to the groundbreaking Ace of Spades album. 
Not to mention that the live at Hammersmith album they had just released went to number one in the UK. So, you know, it's tough to follow up albums like that, you know, especially when they're so popular. And this album to me, you know, it always felt like they kind of got inside their own heads a little too much and drove themselves a little crazy trying to match the might of it all. The songs are really good, but a lot of people have bitched about the mediocre production, which was handled by the begrudged lead guitarist, Fast Eddie Clark. He didn't want to do it. Although Lemmy was on board with the idea during recording, the shitty final product, it helped widen the rift that was beginning to form between himself and Fast Eddie. Despite all that, I still love this album. Yeah, the production's not good, but the songs are definitely there. was Lemmy's least favorite Motorhead album out of the entire 20 plus studio album catalog and it would be the last Motorhead album to feature Fast Eddie Clark. If you want to learn more about this album get into the archives over on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast scroll on back to episode 105 and enjoy three awesome dudes (laughs) talking all about it. I wasn't on that episode. Three awesome humble dudes talking all about it. I definitely wasn't on that episode. That was a good episode. You need yeah, to go back fun. on that show. I do, man. I, I'm looking forward to going back on there someday. We just got to pick an album. Any album. I don't care. Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him? Sure. Why not? Okay. I'll tell you it sucks. Well, yeah, I think everyone would. <laughs> okay. So where are we at? Let me get right in the right place of my notes here. Oh, yeah. So on April 13th, David Crosby. Remember him? Uh-huh. Uh, he's arrested on drug charges for the second time in three weeks when Dallas police catch him preparing co- cocaine backstage before a show. Wow. Wow, David Crosby. You sure learned your lesson the first time, didn't you? It didn't make the music sound any better. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was trying to give it to the audience. He's he was. like, I'm going to whip up this big old batch here and give it to the audience, and they are going to love the show. So here, I got another one. This is This is pretty cool. I've always really had a soft spot for this album. Uriah Heep has been around since 1969, and by 1982, they've released 14 studio albums and have gone through 14 lineup changes. You think that stuff just happens nowadays? No, this stuff was going back on in the 80s, too. Classic lineup vocalist David uh, David Byron... Don't want to confuse him with Bon Jovi keyboardist. David Bryan? Yeah, it, it wasn't that guy. This Their original classic lineup vocalist was David Byron. And he'd been with the band since the beginning, but then he left in 1976. and was replaced by John Lawton, who had a pretty good run with the band, appearing on several albums before they eventually replaced him with John Sloman. Sloman appears on one album and is replaced in 1981 by, by Peter Golby. And in 1982... Peter Golby's making his studio debut on a bomb-a-gog. A bomb-a-nog. 
Yeah, say that 10 times fast. No. <laughs> Along with him, our longtime members Nick Box on guitar and John Sinclair on keyboards. Joining them, this is where this album gets really interesting, are the recent castaways of the Blizzard of Oz band. Really? Yep, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake. The fact that these two guys contribute so much to this album is really what makes it worth checking out. be replaced as lead vocalist in 1986. Wow, what a crazy So the trend song. continues. That's crazy. The album cover is really nuts. Crazy album <laughs> cover. See, this one, why it's special to me is because when I was a kid in high school, we had a high school library that actually had a pretty freaking awesome collection of rock albums that, that they had been taking suggestions from kids since the 70s on what albums to stock in their library. And this was one of them. And I had never heard of Uriah Heat, but I pulled that album cover out and it scared the shit it's out of me. It's a scary like, album cover. I got to check this out. I got to see what this is. You know, It was good. It's probably my favorite album by Uriah Heat. You I know, know and I don't. Kurz Lake were on the album. Yeah. I'll have to check that out again. Uh, goes to number 56 on the U.S. album charts, and like I said, it's my favorite Uriah Heap album. That's wild. Abomagog. <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? I have, I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> April 26th, Rod Stewart is mugged in Los Angeles. He loses his $50,000 Porsche to the mugger, but is not hurt. The car is recovered several days later. So somebody just went joyriding in it, I guess. In an unrelated note, he also had his stomach pumped afterwards. I knew afterwards. you were going to do that. <laughs> God. Oh, you can't resist it. 82 was when those jokes were really funny. Okay, so uh, Cheap Trick released an album in 1982. They released the one-on-one album on April 30th. It's their sixth studio album on Epic Records, produced by Roy Thomas Baker. Well-known singles include If You Want My Love and She's Tight, but I really dig this deep track called Love's Got a Hold.
really super uh, crisp, dry Roy Thomas Baker production. Yeah, that's what all he's, his albums he's have for. that same sound. Yeah. That's cool. That's a good cheap trick album, kind of mm. underrated, I think. I'm I mean, not, it's, I'm it's not got a couple. I love the song "She's Tight." That's a good song. There's a song on there called "I Want Be Man" that is most one of the most retarded things I've ever heard. I want be man. I want be man. Okay. It's like sung like a robot. It's terrible. It's 1982. BJ and Ken, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I know you guys like the bridge on that song, but I think it sucks. <laughs> now I got to check it out because I'm curious. Also on April 30th, um, influential rock journalist Lester Bangs dies in his New York apartment of an apparent accidental overdose of prescription drugs. Lester Bangs, if you don't know, uh, he was basically the lead writer and editor of Cream Magazine. Oh, okay. Um, also, if you've seen the movie Almost Famous... Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Lester Bangs. He meets with the kid in the restaurant early on in the movie where he, you know, the kid's like, yeah. I want to be a journalist. And he's like, you know, you'll meet all the, you'll meet all, all, he's like, you're the most popular kid in your school probably, right? And he's like, no, they all hate me. And he goes, oh, you'll, you'll meet them on their long road to the middle. You know, yeah. Lester Bangs was really sarcastic and uh, kind of an asshole, um, but, uh, but did a lot for hard rock. Like, uh, all those appearances by Kiss and Cream Magazine in the right. 70s, Lester Bangs was the main guy that was making that happen. That's good. So he's a real rock and roll guy. All right. Well, here's something for you. Let's talk a little status quo. Yeah. yeah. They were formed in London, England back in 1962 and were a psychedelic rock band known for their hippie classic pictures of matchstick men. Then somewhere along the line, I'm guessing they heard a Black Oak, Arkansas album and learned to lighten up and rock out a little bit. And by 1982, they're back with their 15th studio album, timely titled 1982. Always much more popular in the UK while remaining nearly unknown in the States, 1982 reaches number one on the UK album charts. In fact, it's their 11th album in a row to place in the top five in the UK. Where were we? Where were we missing out on this band in 1982? They never even had any of their albums even crack the top 200 in the U.S. in their whole history. It's crazy. It's a shame. album that knocks number of the beast from number one in the uk no kidding yeah it's pretty interesting little fact i found more people should definitely give status quo a chance and i recommend starting with their 70s stuff myself and working your way through but they're a great underrated band you know that like you said you know they started out as one thing and then kind of found their way into being what they're more known for and it's just a great straight up rock band and Mm -hmm. not enough people know about the status quo no, nah, I mean, I've never dug that much into their catalog, but our 
buddy Philip Schaus seems to yeah. push us on that. He's the one that told us, no, it's status quo. Yeah. Now we have to say it correctly. We have to say it correctly. Um, on May 1st, a crowd of over 100,000 attends the first day of the 1982 World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is kicked off by an address by President Ronald Reagan. Over 11 million people attended during its six-month run, and it made a total profit of $57. What? The city was left with $46 million in debt. Wow. Way to go, Tennessee. Yeah. I remember when it happened. I was very little when it happened, but I do remember hearing about it. So it was a big deal, and everybody liked it, but it tanked it as far do, as financially. I don't know whoever planned it, like, blew money on stupid stuff. I don't know, but I don't know what happened, but it did not go over well. <sighs> Speaking of not going over well, mm-hmm. I guess it's time for my next pick. And <coughs> I'm going to defend this by starting out and saying that compared to Flock of Seagulls, the Human League, and the Thompson Twins, Duran Duran was the mega death of New Wave. What's happening? I mean, at least they had Andy Taylor on lead guitar. Yeah, on his own, he's good. Yeah, and, you know, he power pretty much overshadowed by Nick Rhodes' keyboard mastery. It doesn't never allowed him to shine all that and much his, in Duran Duran. makeup job, too. You know, I'm telling you, they still had more guitar than most of their their counterparts, so I guess. We're going we're gonna to play Duran Duran on the show. You know, it's, it's just a clip. You know, I'm just saying, you know, they, they had well-written songs, you know, and they had hooks that would have made great hard rock songs, I think. I dug them a lot back in 1982 when I was seven, mm-hmm. but I could still appreciate them today. kind of see them as a blend between David Bowie and the Stones and you know those guys were doing a lot of weird synth music themselves in the early 80s and uh but you know Duran Duran had the style and the hooks and the songs of what would kind of become 80s glam rock I think there's a little bit of that mixed in too and I think that's what always appealed to me I don't give you a hard time about it but like I was this 82 was before I got into hard rock music so I very much liked Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf, and I liked a lot of their stuff because I was just a kid and I was into pop music at the time. Like, it was Duran Duran, Michael Jackson, and Cyndi Lauper, and that kind of stuff was what I was into at that age. Yeah, Culture so, Club. Yeah, not so I like Karma Chameleon okay, but my brother actually owned the In Color album. Or Color by Numbers is what it was called. Ha ha, Eric Sinzak. I used to give him a lot of shit for that. We just outed you on the show. We did. 
expect divorce proceedings soon. But uh, oh no, his wife's gonna find out he loves Culture Club. Right. But uh, uh, Duran Duran, you know, not the heaviest band we've talked about today or will talk about through the course of 1982. But I, you know, I'm a big fan of Andy Taylor, and I'm a big fan of the songs. You know, the songs are all really good. Mm-hmm. And Andy Taylor, man, he's got some amazing solos hidden deep within yeah. these songs. Oh, okay. It'll listen hard, but they're there. So I'll stick on the pop train here because a band that certainly took a left turn into more pop territory was Queen that year when they put Hot Space out. It was their 10th studio album released on EMI Electra Records, produced by Queen, Arif Mardin, Reinhold Mack, and David Bowie. The big hit from this album that everyone knows is Under Pressure that has David Bowie singing with Freddie on it. Which I a, like that it's song. It's a good song. Yeah. It's a good pop song, and it's got a bit of a rock feel to it. The rest of the album, not so much. It's way there's way too much dance and funk influence on this album. It's, it's David Bowie. It's got to be his influence because the, uh, there's a lot of the rock that's just been taken out of this album. Yeah, David Bowie at the around this time was really known for coming into a well, rock did, band or something, somebody like Iggy Pop, and really just jacking everything up, making it weird, just making it poppy. And like he did the Let's Dance album around this time too. Which yeah, if a lot, some people don't know, Stevie Ray Vaughan's the guitar player on Let's Dance. Who would ever know that by listening to yeah, it? Yeah, well, because it has zero of his personality in it. Right, it's just and him it's all buried chords. under the keyboards. But uh, hmm. like I said. Uh, this song is the lone track that could come close to sounding hard rock to me. This is a song called Put Out the Fire. They call him a hero in the land of the free. But he wouldn't shake my hand, boy, he disappointed me. So I got my hand gone. Most of the album was recorded in Munich during the most turbulent period in the band's history, and Roger Taylor and Brian May despised the new sound, with both being very critical of the influence Freddie Mercury's manager Paul Printer had on the singer. Yeah. So their manager was having an influence too. Really kind of trying to push Mercury as a solo artist, I bet. I think that was you a part know, of it. To try to change the sound of the band to be more what he envisioned Freddie doing. Yeah, making him the front man. And, and uh, of course, Brian May's not going to like it. He's like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to do with this guitar then? Yeah, but you know, their bank accounts still st- stood pretty well from it. Estimated sales of the album currently stand at about three and a half million copies. Wow. Not bad in 82 for Queen. I know some people, and there's going to be some of you that are going to complain about me downplaying this record. There's some rock fan, hard rock fans that love this album. So what do I know? Some people think Kiss Unmasked is a genius album. I don't, but some do. <laughs> it's got some good new wavish. Who pop. are these people? Well, it's got some good pop rock stuff on it, so I can see their point on that. But I think that Hot Space is not a good album, personally. All right. Well, I, then I guess it's time to turn this wreck around and start talking about something a little bit heavier. Right. And it's the best thing to come out of Australia since ACDC. I'm talking about Rose Tattoo. Yes. In 1982, they released their third studio album, Scarred for Life. 
always popular in Australia. This is their highest charting album at home, and it's jam-packed with straight-up rock tunes like Branded, We Can't Be Beaten, and Who's Got the Cash? this album they hitch a ride to the u.s with on a tour with aerosmith and zz top and they you know they get out there they get around the u.s they catch the attention of some young musicians some future rock and rollers that would go on to form some of the biggest hard rock bands of the 80s rose tattoos are very underrated acts absolutely but you know like i said they were they were on the bottom of that bill and i'm sure they were off shooting off doing sideshows on that tour too but mm. you know they really you know talk about guns and roses yeah. you know you know those guys saw rose tattoo yeah nice boys yeah, yeah exactly right yeah that's cool i good stuff i love it yeah and they're it's a band a great worth, album they're worth digging into their discography because i i think i spent like a saturday going through almost all of their stuff one day and it just it was great i don't think i skipped one song it was all really listenable no right rose tattoo is freaking awesome um okay so we're into june now and uh, rainbow comes out with straight between the eyes and as their sixth studio album released on polydor mercury Lineup for this version of Rainbow was Richie Blackmore, Roger Glover, Joe Lynn Turner on vocals, Bobby Rondinelli on drums, and David Rosenthal on keyboards. It's a damn good, solid lineup. Yeah. Uh, the title of the album allegedly came from a phrase from Jeff Beck describing Jimi Hendrix to Richie Blackmore. Straight between the eyes. Hmm. Uh, the tour would feature a giant pair of moving mechanical eyes as part of the stage set with spotlights shining from the pupils. That's cool, man. Almost like some band would use that for a Sphinx thing later on. Right? You got to love that stuff. You know, back in these times when a band would come to your town and they wouldn't just get up on stage with their amps and drums and guitars and just play and sing. Mm -hmm. There was actually a production that went along with it, you know? That's what made the the 80s great. Exactly. That's what I miss about it. Yeah, I love it. This song did pretty well at radio, so a lot of you know it, but uh, it definitely ticked off some longtime fans that I think liked the the heavier side of Rainbow, but I think this is a perfectly crafted song of its time. Try to run, try to 
damn gold sounding for Rainbow, but uh, I still that's one of those songs that I think is great for its time. It's a great song. I mean, it just, it doesn't remind me of something that you you put with Richie Blackmore no. really. You know, it's it's or very Ronnie poppy, <laughs> right? You know, so again, 1982 is kind of a weird time in music where a lot of these bands are being forced to change. You know, some mm-hmm. bands did it earlier on, and some bands are just kind of getting to it now. I think a lot of there's probably a lot of people that didn't even know it was Rainbow when it came out. I'm sure not. You know, and the fact that it was radio playing a Rainbow song, right? Uh, it's yeah, probably one heavily. of the first. But I love uh, Joe Lynn Turner. I think is kind of an unsung, you know, hero of that era because like you don't, yeah. I don't think the guy gets quite the praise that he deserves. And I know some people think he's a bit full of himself, but I think he has one of the better voices in rock history. Yeah, definitely great singer. Yeah. So uh, a news story from June 21st, John Hinckley is found not guilty of the 1981 attempted assassination of President Reagan by reason of insanity. Because it's crazy to want to shoot somebody? No, it's all Jodie Foster's fault. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Did you? I heard he recently got uh, paroled. Really? Yeah, he's living with his mother in Virginia. Wow. Lay low, John Hinckley. Lay low. <laughs> no shit. Just stay in the house and download Decibel Geek Podcast. I don't want him as a listener. Well, if he if he buys a T-shirt, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I'll 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 shill for that. There you go, John. Decibelgeek.com. Right. Also in uh, June on June fifth, Heart put out Private Audition, their sixth studio album that came out on Epic Records. It was on the U.S. Billboard chart for fourteen weeks, peaking at number twenty-five. But it was kind of, it kind of flew under the radar. It just didn't get the uh, the attention I thought that it deserved. Uh, it was the last hard album to feature longtime members Mike DeRozier and Steve Fosen, who left after the recording of the album and were replaced by Denny Carmasi and Mark Andes. The album sold around 400,000 copies in the U.S. and uh, had a cool song like Cities Burning. sold well at the time but it's just one of those doesn't pop up very often. and this is another band i think in 82 where they're kind of in flux too because they're coming out of what they were in the 70s mm-hmm. and there's but they're still not quite what they resurged to be it's in the 80s a bridge album like it's, yeah. it's got a little bit of the poppier stuff they were about to do but it's still it's got the the production is kind of more of their 70s era production yeah i kind of found that similarity with uh scorpions blackout yeah where it's really it's kind of between a, the in-between album as well yeah. It's very un. It's like I said. It's a very underrated record. You don't. You, you hear about certain albums by them, but that one tends to never come up a lot. Yeah, I love Heart. I do too. All right, so that brings us up to 1982 movies. You ready to talk about the uh, cinematic features of 82? Because there were some 
damn good movies yeah. that came out in 1982. I love the list. All right, well, let's start out with the uh, top 10 U.S. grossing movies of the year. Number 10 is Annie. Remember that? The live action. I have a redheaded cousin. Oh, she loved it, didn't she? Every time we visited their house, it was played on repeat. She thought she was Annie. She wanted to be. Wow. Well, well, the rest of us wanted to be Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Number nine, the best little whorehouse in Texas, that movie. I watched that not too long ago because it came up on one oh, of the movie it? channels. I have seen it since back then. That's an awesome movie. Is it? I mean, no, even, I even it. watching it today, and it's yeah, it's a musical, but it's a comedy, and it's got Burt Reynolds, it's got Dolly Parton. And, man, I got to tell you, those two are awesome in that movie. The <laughs> acting's great. Dom De- DeLuise in it. He's hilarious Anything as always. Anything Bert did, Dom DeLuise was in back then. Yeah, those two are such a great team, and that was a really good movie. <laughs> um, let's see. Number eight was Poltergeist. That, that movie holds up. Yeah, it does. It's still scary. That was a scary movie. Number seven, 48 Hours with mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte. That's a classic. Uh, number six, oh, this is my favorite out of this series, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That's a good one. Kirk. <laughs> Kirk. I love it. That dude was awesome. What was his name? Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. He was... Cause Fantasy he, Island. Right. You've seen him all those years in Fantasy Island, and then, like, because you got to understand, you know, when these movies come out, we're seven years old, so we're not going to a lot of them, but these are all movies that would become instant classics in the VHS age. Oh, sure. You know, so whatever... If if you hear a movie on this list that didn't make, you know, uh, Star Trek too money... They still got their time coming once VHS hits. Oh, absolutely. Uh, number five, here's another classic, Porky's. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. God, I love that movie. <laughs> it's a great movie for its time. I remember being a teenager watching that and being like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yep. Uh, we talked about it earlier with Hulk Hogan. Uh, and number four is Rocky Three, <laughs> Starring Hulk Hogan. Starring Hulk Hogan <laughs> as Thunder Lips. Yeah. Uh, number three is An Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. That's Richard a classic. Yeah. Uh, number two is Tootsie. Mm-hmm. Tootsie, what was that? Was sort, sort of Dustin Hoffman dressed like a dressed woman? Like a woman, yeah. yeah that, that was a big deal at Our, the time. My parents liked it. It's controversial, I believe. Oh yeah, it was. And number one, I actually seen this one at the movie theater when I was a little kid. The number one movie by far, by like far. leaving all these yeah. other movies in the dust, like way by far. You know it. I'm sure you've seen it. You love it. E.T. the Extraterrestrial. First time I had Reese's Pieces. Yeah? Was at the theater for that. That may have been my first trip to the... Maybe not, but one of my first trips to the movie theater was to see E.T. You know what my Aunt Pam did to me? Uh. She told me, because I had it... My bedroom had another little room attached to it where there was like... It was just like storage and there was like old toys and stuff Mm -hmm. in there. And my Aunt Pam told me E.T. is in that room. That's mean. And it wasn't that I was scared of E.T., but I was terrified of the dudes in the white suits come busted in. <laughs> that was a freaky scene when you were a little kid watching that part. People can just bust into your house like this at night? I never heard of such a thing. I'm terrified now, <laughs> especially knowing that E.T.'s in my closet. Oh, Dang God. it, Aunt Pam. Uh, let's see. What other great movies came out in 82 that didn't maybe top the charts? We mentioned it before, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Yep. How many times you watched that movie? <sighs> Uh, maybe, uh, maybe 10. Not, yeah. a, not a ton. We watched it a lot. That was a good smoke pot and just, yeah. wow. That's, that's what I did every time I did watch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, other movies in 82, Death Wish 2, uh, First Blood, the very first Rambo movie, yep. uh, Creep Show. 
That was a good one. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. That was a good one. Which that, you know, goes along with a big news story of Mm -hmm. 1982, where the onset accident took the lives of three people that were acting in that movie. And I remember it being a young kid and people talking about this. The guy got his head chopped off by the rotors of the helicopter. And that's all true. Those people died making that movie. Fucking awful. Another movie I loved from 82, The Thing. Mm-hmm. That's a suspenseful ass movie right there. That's a good one. Everyone should see that. I think they remade it. Yeah, I believe so. But the or original, they remade everything. Yeah, of course. The original is really good. Um, in '82, you got Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Yep, in 3D. In 3D, and the return of Jason Voorhees. Um, Amityville Two: The Possession. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Uh, Cat People came out in '82. That's a really weird movie. Halloween Three: The Season of the Witch. No Michael Myers. I thought that movie was lame. What the hell's the point of having a Halloween movie if there's no Michael Myers? Money. This was this was corrected. Another big movie story of the year was uh, that when they made the movie Poltergeist, which was number right up to like number eight of the movies of the year, they actually used real human remains as props. Yeah. As opposed to using plastic alternatives because it was much cheaper yeah the scene where joe beth williams is in the the dugout swimming pool and the skeletons are coming up around her yeah those are real skeletons that's crazy yeah that is crazy (laughs) oh i thought this was funny a hollywood screenwriter chuck ross he retypes the script to casablanca and submitted it to 217 agencies with the title everybody comes to rick's dozens of agencies rejected it as not being good enough to turn into a movie so he basically he rewrote Casablanca pretty much and just changed the title and changed all the, the words, changed the title, like the, made it the same. It's the same movie, and they turned it down. Yeah, and the, and the, they said, "Oh, this isn't good enough to make a movie." Even though Casablanca is considered like one of the one greatest of the greatest movie movies of all time. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. So uh, some uh, cool other movies on there was uh, Blade Runner. Yeah, Sword was... and the Sorcerer. Do you remember Sword and the Sorcerer? I don't remember that. I know the title. I don't think I ever watched it. That was such a great movie to be a, a kid to. That see, that was a movie you could rent from the uh, video store mm-hmm. that your parents didn't realize had titties. In oh, okay. It. Well, I probably did see it. Then, that movie, I was good I've at that. Rented that one several times. Conan the Barbarian. Came that was out. great. Swamp Thing. That was one of my favorite movies from back then. Yeah, I loved it. The Dark Crystal. My brother loved it. I fell asleep to it. Really? Yeah, it was boring as shit. You were to me. too young then. The Dark also, Crystal was awesome. And The Secret of Nim. Bo- Secret of Nim was me to really tears. awesome. Really? Yeah, I didn't like oh, either of them. Oh, man. I love both those movies. And then Tron. What about Tron? Did Tron do I liked, anything for you? I like Tron. Yeah, I did like that. I love those Mostly motorcycles. Visual, visually, it was awesome. Yeah. But for it, its time? Shit, yeah, it was. But wasn't nominated for an Academy Award for visual effects because the use of computers was considered cheating. That's funny. Especially when you look at changed. it now. Yeah. They're, now it's, it's, all it, on computers. it's celebrated. Everything's CGI. The very first really good CGI movie, they didn't give it its props because it's cheating to use computer. Right. That's crazy. Uh, some other really good movies that came out that year. Here's another VHS classic for you. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, yeah. Love that movie. Phoebe Cates. So hot. <laughs> uh, Airplane 2, the sequel. Yep. Love that. Cheech and Chong's Things Are Tough All Over. Mm-hmm. And who could forget that classic from 1982, Six Pack. I have a story about Six Pack. Oh, really? Yes. Six Pack was filmed in the town I was living in, in Georgia, while I was living there. Really? Yes. There's hotels and and places like landmarks throughout the movie that i that i like used to see on the i remember when they would block off parts of the streets to film it 
Wow. Yeah. Nice. I, I used to see them filming it when and I was for the, for yeah. those of you that may not know that was a big Kenny, Kenny Rogers, Rogers movie. Yep. He was a race car driver who adopted yep. a bunch of kids. And HBO played the shit out of that movie. Yeah, so, they did. I so remember that. My brother and I would always get excited when it would come on cuz like, oh, there's the hotel and there's the gas station and there's that and there's that, you know, it was stuff that we recognize as we lived in the city. It's Kennesaw, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. That's wild. They filmed the whole thing there. All right. Well, there you go. Those are your movies in 1982. Now let's talk about somebody that kind of looks like Kenny Rogers in 1982. Because <laughs> in 1982, the Catman is back with his third solo album. If you count this Kiss 78, which, you know, I do. Yeah. And if you count 80s out of control, yeah. which ugh, I don't know if anybody wants to count that. Um, this one comes out. It's uh, Let Me Rock You. It's his third studio album. It's it's bad right off the start for Peter Chris. I mean, sales for Out of Control were so abysmal that Let Me Rock You isn't even released in the U.S. Now it's just in Europe, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. that's bad, you know? Um, it marks the first time that Peter Chris appears on an album cover without makeup. Yeah, that's true, because he didn't do it on Out of Control. Kind of, because he is wearing a lot of lady makeup. Is he? Yeah, you look at that back picture, It's it's just, he, but it's not like... It's not like poison style where it's cool. Right. It's just like dude's got a beard. Yeah. And he's wearing lady makeup around his eyes and it just looks strange. I always thought it looked like he picture of his face after he just stepped out of the shower. Yeah, it kind of does cuz it's got that his background like all the wet. tile, it's all wet. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't I think he messed up by not releasing like the first album he came out with should have been him on the cover with no makeup. Well, yeah, because that would have been a bigger selling point, right? Because more people would have been excited to get it to see him be the first member of Kiss you ever got to see up close and personal, mm-hmm. clearly without makeup on. Instead, he he messed up and did that backwards. I think. Uh, let's see what else can I tell you about this album? Um, hmm. After not working on the previous album with Peter, Vinny Poncia is back to produce this one. He's got a co-write on there. Um, did you know that Davey, uh, F- was it Farager, the bass player? He played a lot of the bass songs. That guy goes on to form Cracker in the 90s. Remember the band Cracker yeah. with Low? Yeah. So the guy that plays bass on this Peter Chris album, like decades later, would form Cracker. Huh. I never knew that till till we started doing no, this. No, I didn't know that at all. Um, other weird things about this album, it includes uh, songs written by a guy named Vinny Cusano. Yeah, Vinny tears. Cusano, anybody? Yeah, along with Adam Mitchell, you know, and he was, those guys are Kiss partner, or they, or they will be. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, if you think about Vinny and Adam writing this song together, that's got to be a row right about in that si- same time period and, when he's getting introduced to Gene Simmons. And I think it's one of those, I don't know that Vinny, I don't think Peter even released Tears as a single, but he should have, because it, yeah. it did well for John Waite, who actually released it as one but again nobody cared about peter chris in 1982 um also uh songwriting credits on this album to gene simmons who contributes the song feels like heaven yeah the demo's amazing yeah yeah i think a big downfall on this album would be the uh leaving out of the piss flaps (laughs) most clearly that's why this album tanked (laughs) if you have if you don't know what aaron's talking about look up the demo to feel like heaven by gene simmons and uh, (laughs) listen to the last five seconds because it's worth it or go back in the archives and listen to us talking about it because it is comedy gold it really is i talk about unintentional funniness us talking about the demo for feels like heaven um also on this album appears steve stevens awesome guitar player co-writes the song first day in the rain which ain't bad and uh this album also has two songs by russ ballard including one called some kind of hurricane 
song off this album that's pretty yeah. much hit and miss. It's the closest rocker on the yeah. album, I think. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, I like that one. Right. Why can't we have it? <laughs> you know, so here here lies the problem, Peter Chris. You asked us, may I rock you? Yeah. We said, eh, you know, that, that stuff you did in 80 wasn't, wasn't really. And he said, come on. <laughs> let, me let me rock you. <laughs> and we reluctantly said, okay. Mm, Okay, Catman, you know, we know you got it in you, and since you asked twice, okay, we will let you rock us. And then, no, you didn't deliver. Uh-huh. You didn't deliver. We got first day in the rain. Dang it. Then this would be the last Peter Chris solo album for over 10 years, and yep. that's why. You don't come up to somebody and say, hey, let me rock you, yeah. and then not do it. You got to keep your promises. Man. Yeah, you can't just do that. That's wrong. Poor oh, Peter Chris. Yeah. Tough times in the 80s. Yes. But, you know, eventually he'll get back into Kiss. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's also cool that he had that he worked with Steve Stevens and Vinnie Vincent on the same album. That is pretty cool. Yep. Too bad they couldn't come up with something better. I guess Kyle Kyle wasn't around to play bass. No, guess not. Kyle Kyle, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, so uh, before, I got the playout song, but we need to uh, beg for money for a couple of minutes. Or we will wrap our steaming piss flaps around your noses. Yeah, do that. Donate money to the Rock and Pot Expo, or that's what's going to happen. It's going to be awful. I haven't checked if I have steaming piss flaps, but oh, <laughs> We're, we got them. Well, here's the thing. Right now, we we teased it a little bit at the top of the show, and you know, before we wrap up things here today in our first uh, year, the first half of the year of 1982, we have, and this has been a hot topic here lately. Yeah, people asking about people this. asking and saying, you know. Rock and or roll has their perks list out, you know, rock and metal combat podcast. We know what we can get if we, we donate through them, you know, all these different shows have their perks and we decided, you know, Hey, we got to have our perks too. So Chris and I kind of went over this a little bit and I'm going to run it down and Chris can answer any questions we have. What is the end game, man? Well, I'm going to tell you what the end game (laughs) is right here. So here is the official announcement of the Decibel Geek VIPs. Um, Well, not VIP. Well, well, anybody can become a VIP. Please do. And please do. But this is is our special perks for the Rockin' Pod Expo to solicit donations from our good friends and to give you guys some extra reasons to do so. So here's the first one. For a twenty dollar donate, well, let's where where can they go to do this? Okay, to make sure they're going through ours because they want to support us. Yeah, and we're, there's links in the show notes. There's links on the website, but the official website is Nashville Rock in the letter N PodExpo.com. That'll that gives you the perks, everything for every show, and right. also the link to the GoFundMe. If you want to go straight to the GoFundMe, um, but you got to follow these directions. Um, it's GoFundMe.com slash rock in the letter in pod expo. Okay, there you go. So here are your official Decibel Geek perks. This is our, our incentive for you to want to donate and get some extra stuff. Yeah. So the number one is the $20. If you donate $20, not only does that cover your admission, but it also gets you into the show one hour early with our rock and roll vendors. And we told you before, we told these guys, Leave the Garth Brooks and the Billy Ray Cyrus and bullshit at home. Don't bring no Easy E. Don't bring no Kanye Way West. We only want your rock stuff. And if mm-hmm. you want to move some product, 
these people want some rock and roll. So our vendors are actually digging through their collections, probably as we speak, pulling out the best of the best, the best albums, the best CDs, the best rock memorabilia, and cool things that they're digging deep to bring to this because they know that the rock fans are going to be coming out for this. So you get in an hour earlier than anybody else that just comes to the door and buys a ticket. So you get first shot at all the cool stuff. That hour is important. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, when everybody else comes in after the people that do this, mm-hmm. there might not be a whole lot well, left. Yeah, wait, that first hour. You might clean them out. These vendors are going to have to run back home and get more stuff. You want to be there early, trust you me. You definitely do. So then there's the second tier to this, which is a $35 donation. And what that'll get you is your, your admission, your one-hour early yep. entrance, Plus a rock and pod official T-shirt. Yeah. This is going to have all the different logos and designs of all the different shows that are involved. It's it's definitely it's an event shirt, you yeah, know, it's and, very unique. and you'd have to be there to get it, you know. So thirty five dollars, you get you the early admission, the uh, ticket to get in, and the T-shirt. Now, say you're living somewhere and you say, man, I really want to support that, or I'd really love, I'd love to have that T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Well, even if you can't make it to the show, you can do the $35 um, donation, and you can still, we'll figure out a way to get you we a will. T-shirt. Yes. That's cool? All right. So then that brings us up to the new things we've added, because that's kind of what everyone's doing. But these are some things that are really unique. Now, the next tier the next tier is five different groupings and along with all five of these right off the bat comes with a three-month vip trial subscription yes that means you get to be a vip for three months along with the the, five dollar a week level right so so you get in all the good stuff you know for three months you get it basically for free because let's say pack number one right here is a, for a $75 donation you can get pack number one and I know that includes a Rachel Bolin autograph yes. and some other cool stuff yeah, right? I, yeah let me I can pull it up but you, and there will be pictures for all of this stuff too on the website it's a signed uh, EMG glossy picture of Rachel Bolin on stage he signed it for me at the NAMM convention in January um, so I'm vouching that it's real. He signed it for me. Of course, all these things will come with a Decibel Geek T-shirt, also. Okay, yeah. So you get the the VIP three months subscription, yeah. a Decibel Geek T-shirt, and then each individual yeah. pack. A Rachel Bolin signed picture, a Grave Dig- Digger um, sealed DVD that just came out. Right on. Bob Seger sealed copy of Ride Out, which CD. that's pretty new. And a the official Kiss Alive Worldwide 1996-97 reunion tour magazine. So you get all that, the Decibel Geek t-shirt, plus your three-month VIP subscription. Yes. That's very cool. That's a great bargain for 75 bucks. Yep. Here's another one. This is pack number two. This is also for a $75 donation. And remember, people, these are first come, first serve. So once, Only one available of each. There's only one available of each. That's why we split it up into these different things and at different levels for you so that you can pick which one works for you because, I mean, altogether, it's definitely worthwhile. And you guys know that this is going to a worthy cost. So pack number two is also for a $75 donation. Right. And and it includes a Kiss songbook and a Bobby Rock autograph, yeah, along with some other cool stuff. Yeah, it's got a Kiss Alive 2 songbook from 1977, the real deal. Um, right a, on. A Decibel Geek postcard signed by Bobby Rock that we obtained when we interviewed him last December in Louisville. You know we know these people. Yes. Um, also, a Musician magazine from 1981 with a full story on the doors. It was kind of a look back at the doors. Decibel Geek t-shirt, of course. 
And then um, two official guitar picks that we got from a guest, Jeremy Owsley, who drove for these bands, an official 311 Nicholas Hexum guitar pick and also a Dave Mustaine guitar pick from Dave Mustaine. Heck yeah, so you get all that, the T-shirt, the three-month VIP subscription, and that whole pack of cool stuff for your $75 donation. Yes. And if you're thinking about it, don't think too long. You better act on it it's because go some, somebody else is thinking about it too, and they might jump on it before you do. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the next level then of prize packs because this is our $100 level because these are, cool. the, these are really cool and some really neat stuff in them. So, Chris, tell us about pack number three. Number three, this pack comes, of course, with everything we said, a Decibel Geek shirt also, a um, Metal Edge Motley Crue special magazine from 1986, which is cool. A Rex Brown um, official sticker of him playing bass that came from Chad Lee Photography. Right on. Also, a signed Ricky Rocket Decibel Geek postcard that we got when we interviewed Ricky a few weeks ago. Heck yeah. And then on top of that, you get an official Mark Slaughter um, 8x10 print picture of him signed. That's awesome. So you get you get Ricky Rocket and Mark Slaughter autographs for this. Okay, one. and that's for the one hundred dollar yes. donation. That's prize pack number three. Yep. So then we also have another one hundred dollar donation prize pack, and that's prize pack number four. And what could they have with that, Chris? This is kind of a Vinnie Vincent Invasion and Kiss fan uh, package here. Um, so this comes with what Aaron said before, also a Decibel Geek T-shirt. A uh, Kissaholics uh, magazine is a fanzine from the 90s, uh, the Elder issue, so it's pretty cool. Wow. Um, a book by Sylvie Simmons called Kiss with a picture of Gene Simmons on the front. It's just like a little Kiss history book that came out in the 90s. Cool. Also, a postcard signed by Bobby Rock that we obtained in Louisville at the uh, at the, uh, at the interview. And then another uh, 8x10 live picture of Mark Slaughter that's also autographed. So you got two members of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion autographed in that one. That's awesome. So for 100 bucks, you can get that. The three uh the vip three month subscription and decibel geek t-shirt which those two items come with every single one of them and then the big one we teased right. this a couple of weeks ago and yeah. this is for a 200 dollars donation but think about this this is very special and also you get the the vip three month trial and also the decibel geek t-shirt and for your 200 dollars donation to this oh so worthy cause yeah. you get this is and this is for particular KISS fans that are going to have an interest in this, because most people are going to hear the price of this and be like, what? For a book? It's not worth it. Oh, this is a special book. There's a story behind this. This is a book called Vintage KISS Photos that was put out by a guy. He was a KISS fan named, I think, Mark Scalantino. And it came out a few years ago. And the reason this book is very hard to find is KISS, uh, he didn't license the photos. Like, he didn't... Or he actually used the KISS logo from a live shot of the band and used it as part of the cover of the book. And Kiss will let you get away with a lot of stuff, but using their logo on the cover of a book that you're selling, uh -uh. they don't let you do that. No way. So Gene and the lawyers had it taken off the shelves, so it was only on the shelves for like a couple of months. And a very limited amount of these books actually got out, but I got one. I bought it, I think, maybe the second week it was on sale. And, uh, is it the Holy Get Grail of Kiss? I don't know if it's the Holy Maybe Grail. Maybe not, but it's pretty cool but and it's, it's very rare. It's in demand. Like you, it, you will have a damn hard time finding it on eBay, that's for sure. And, and I was looking at it last week, and it's in really great shape, too. It is. And also... Um, I've looked at I've looked these up on Amazon. There's people that want seven hundred dollars for these things on Amazon. Right. So I don't know if people are paying that much, but I was thinking there's Kiss fans that listen to this show that love rare stuff like this. Uh -huh. And I think I'm not charging seven hundred dollars. All I want is two hundred dollars to go to this cause that we're trying to fund. 
I, I think that's that's more than convenient, and right. uh, and I think it's worth it. So uh, fill that gaping hole in your Kiss collection with this book it's that cool you book. need, and it is a cool book. There's a lot of great pictures in it, and I think it's funny that you know it got shut down, but you yep. you can still get one by helping us out with our Rock and Pod and, Expo. And Gene, if you and expedition. your lawyers are listening, I'm not selling this book. I'm giving it as We're a gift for a donation. It for a donation, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, and then the last thing. Of course, you know, this is always up for grabs for anybody that wants to become a VIP, but right now we're really doing something special where for $100, of course, you can come on the Decibel Geek podcast with us mm-hmm. and host a Radio Sucks radio show, which we've got some. We've got a couple of guests already signed up for this that people have donated, made the $100 donation, and we've got them lined up and scheduled, and we've yeah. even seen some of the song picks already. Oh, cool. And you guys are really in for a treat for some of these. I love Radio Sucks radio shows, and I especially... Especially love it when we get somebody else's perspective on it, and I especially, especially love it when you donate a hundred bucks to help us get our friends into town for the Rock and Pod Expo. It's going to be a lot of fun. We were talking about earlier. We really want to get the History Science Theater guys here yeah. because they're a long ways away, and we're really clawing and scratching to try to make it so to to make sure that these guys can come. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people really want to see them here, and we want to see them here, yeah. and of course we want to see you guys here. So hopefully, you know, with these packs that you get, you you get to come to the show also. And if you can't, yeah. you know, we we will appreciate your donation. Yeah, even if you can't afford to buy one of these great packages, and you just want to throw five dollars at us for just as an acknowledgement of hey, I like the show and I like what you're doing. Five dollars means a lot, guys. I mean, it really does. It, it will sure all does. add up. Just like, just like when we ask you to shop on our Amazon link, you know, Amazon doesn't give us a lot, but all the things you guys buy, it adds up. So even if you can't come to the show, even if you can't afford the $20 domain donation or the 35 to at least get yourself a t-shirt or even the higher stakes ones here with the three month VIP subscription and the t-shirt, if, if none of this is your thing, we'll still accept a $5 donation and we still appreciate it very much. So there you go. Those are your big updates for yeah. the Rock and Pod Expo. It's still happening. We're at a better venue. Much um, better. Everything's good. We finally have gotten our, our perks together, and so now it's up to you to decide which one of these is right for you mm-hmm. and get on the case because we got to get this all wrapped up as soon as we can yes. to get everybody their plane tickets and so we can make sure everybody's on their way. And also, if you guys want us to stop bugging you about this, then donate help us right. get our goal help and then we can us, shut up about it help us reach our goal <laughs> and you'll not hear us talk about it again except we'll be thanking you and then you will enjoy all the fruits of what comes out of this on all these different podcasts right. that are going to be doing really special things at this i know there's a lot of very cool things already planned and Absolutely. there's going to be a lot of amazing uh content that yes. comes out of this not just from decibel all geek from but from all these shows together it's yes. it's going to be sweet and you guys are going to really be able to enjoy it down the line so help us out today please do by donating to our rock and pod expo fundraiser please please okay so we got i'm gonna do the play out song but i've enjoyed okay. talking 1982 and we got I another week to go looking forward to it so yeah so um in june of 1982 girls school released their third studio album on bronze records called screaming blue murder if you look at the album cover for this album it makes you wonder because this came out before a band that wears makeup put out their album and this cover is a lot of blue and pink lettering huh. just makes me wonder Maybe it's just a coincidence. But Girl School was formed in 1978 and uh, was frequently associated with Motorhead, kind of considered the female Motorhead. Sure, yeah, definitely. And they are the longest-running all-female rock band, and this album was produced by Nigel Gray, who worked with the police, of all people. Wow. 
Closing out 1982 Part 1, this is Girl School with It Turns Your Head Around, and we'll see you next week. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.